Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. Hello, this is Scott Pushke, Managing Partner of Cornerstone Business Services. Uh, we're doing our Cornercast, our podcast that we do every two weeks. And today we've got Cheryl Ashbrenner from Sickich. Uh, hello, Cheryl. Hey, how's it going, Scott? Great to hear from you. Great. Thanks for coming on board. Maybe for our listeners, if you could just give a little bit of background on yourself and your firm. Absolutely. So thank you again. My name is Cheryl Ashenbrenner and I'm a CPA and I am the national leader and partner for Sikich's Transaction Advisory Services. I have over 20 years of experience in mergers and acquisition, business advisory, assurance services, strategic planning, and a deep expertise in structuring and due diligence work for portfolio companies, strategic buyers, private equity funds, investment bankers, brokers. And I bring along with me a team of financial, technology, human capital, all sorts of resources that you as a private equity or strategic buyer or an investment banker would look to when putting together a deal and preparing for one or divesting of a company or a tuck-in or carve-out. So that's a bit about me. Great. Well, thank you. You know, we've worked with your firm on quality of earnings reports of helping our clients. You know, typically, our, you know, we would look at it for the ones that are over $10 million enterprise value. We strongly recommend a, a quality of earnings report. So we wanted to just get on here because for people that aren't CPAs or doing deals all the time, they probably haven't heard the term Q of E or quality of earnings report. So just what is a quality of earnings report? Maybe you could go into a little detail on what that report actually is. Absolutely. It's a question we're asked all the time. So I try to put it simply, and then I know we'll dig deeper into it, but simply for all to understand, a QOV or a quality earnings report is really a deep dive into understanding a business and then a report to lessen what we like to call surprises or skeletons that may be in the company's numbers. So as most people know, a sale is based on a value of EBITDA, or now more commonly referred to as EBITDAC, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and now adding in that COVID. So that quality of earnings or that QOV really focuses on the adjustments of a company's reported EBITDA. And then what it really, really hones in on is that sustainability or that quality of the company's earnings. Okay, so it really uh, makes sure that what you think your cash flow is as, as an owner, it really is, and, and kind of dives into it just like a buyer would, right? Absolutely. What we really look to do is pull out those one-offs or those things that may have happened, such as PP&E or extensive officer's compensation or liabilities that may not be on the books or customer concentrations, things that aren't normally pointed out in an audit or a cash flow forecast. So it really focuses on those earnings and that working capital. Right. And if I was going to have one done as a business owner, you know, does this take two days, two months, <laughs> a week? What kind of time frame is typical? I know it always depends on as a business owner, how good I am at getting you the information. But once you guys have the information, you know, what does that time frame look like? You stole my thunder, right? Because <laughs> the whole process is really dependent on on that dedication of the company, you know, and the personnel that we're working on. But if, if you're ready to go, once we've received all the documentation that we request, just having the availability of the personnel, there's a lot of time spent, you know, answering questions once we receive that information. So being available for that. But we can usually have what's called a full quality of earnings to draft in about three weeks. Okay. 
Yeah. To draft, you know, and then it's the back and forth, you know, between different parties um, that are involved in questioning just the way things were documented or presented. So probably four to six weeks is, is probably pretty normal from start um, to finish. I would say that's a really good estimate. And like I said, that's for a full quality of earnings. The, that's the greatest the greatest aspect about a quality of earnings is, you know, we can fit these to any budget, any sort of constraints, any sort of things that you really want to highlight or do not matter just based on the way the deal is structured. So it's really actually a fun project for both parties once you're involved, if you can call it fun. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a CPA <laughs> might call that fun. I don't know if it's fun for the business owner, but uh, it definitely helps them prepare to go to market. I know that or a buyer on the buy side just wanted to make sure that they're buying what they actually think they're buying from a cash flow standpoint. We talked about time frame, but what if I'm a business owner, I want to get one done. What should I prepare? What are you going to ask for from a financial standpoint? Or, or I know you said there's a questionnaire that you go through, but what else could I prepare for ahead of time to make it as efficient as possible? And this is where we could go on for a while, right? But right. I, I'm keeping it high level, you know, it's really a, the questioning comes in, you know, reviewing the business, looking at angles such as company background, the management team, key employees, um, capital structure. But then what really the details come out in and what you can be, get prepared and have that information ready is the details surrounding that working capital. We'll be talking very heavily surrounding revenue recognition and trends in revenue, um, looking at the cost of goods sold and those operating expenses, and then really honing in on for the working capital side, the balance sheet trends. And then depending again on the structure of the deal, the tax filings that have been completed and tax positions that have been taken. So when you look at that information, it, it really does start with those financials. So it's going to sound like an audit at first, you know, anything on your balance sheet. So, you know, the cash, the accounts receivable, where we're really going to hone on, in on, on accounts receivable is looking at bad debts or an allowance or, you know, any sort of customer concentrations and building those out to present the story behind them. Inventory is another huge item that we'll look at, you know, just making sure that there's not any slow moving or obsolete inventory that hasn't been uncovered without that lack of visibility into the inventory um, and looking at how the inventory has been calculated. You know, is it has labor been brought into it? Has overhead, you know, levels been placed into it? So really looking at the turns and things of that nature. Talking through property and equipment, looking at have they delayed expenditures? Have they delayed maintenance? Or, you know, are they on par with that? What is their current equipment purchase positions for the future? You know, do they have sure. planned expenditures such as that? And then it really focuses on the liability section. Are there, are there things that are missing or over accrued? Um, a lot of times, you know, when there's we deal with family-owned businesses, officers' compensation, delayed vacation time, you know, what are the vacation policies, commissions, things of that nature. Again, with revenue recognition, looking at the deferred revenue or customer deposits, should there be those things on the balance sheet that may not be? And then those wonderful off-balance sheet items, thinking of contingencies, uh, legal contingencies, commitments such as leases, um, letters of credit, guarantees, and then it really goes into that income statement. So looking at those sales reports and looking at how revenue has been recognized in the past. ASC 606, the new change to revenue recognition that was implemented this past year has been a real big one for us this year um, when looking at companies, should they not have been audited or had you know a higher level CPA service with them in the past. So making sure that they're not leaving a skeleton there or you know leaving money on the table. Um, right. 
how far back do you go? Are you just looking at the last, what we call the TTM or trailing 12 months? Or you go back three years or five years? Or what do you typically look at in most QVs? In most QVs, typically we'll look at two years. Two years, okay. back And then a trailing 12 months usually. But again, it all depends on the deal, you know, where the company is as far as like their lifetime, you know, are they a startup? You really want to talk through it with management and find out where the changes have occurred and where you really want to showcase either their growth or their lack thereof. But it's typically two years in a trailing 12 months. Yeah, what we've seen these before, we've had clients that are either construction companies with large projects or even uh, machine shops that do these million dollar machines that take nine months to build and just... Yeah, you know, we had real issues with when they were recognizing the dollars versus the proper percentage of completion accounting that they were not doing and everything else. So it can really change, you know, again, if you're a buyer looking at that and they show one number, you know, or on a cash basis versus accrual, I mean, it could be, I'm guessing it could really change what that EBITDA is at the end of the day of what you truly are buying from a consistency standpoint, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's where we'll pull out the sales contracts. And believe it or not, a sales contract is a purchase order because I know a lot of companies that we work with, you know, they're like, well, we don't have signed contracts, but right. a purchase order is that. And when you pull those out, you know, you really have to look at warranties or ex- extended warranties, any sort of buybacks, any sort of labor or installation that comes with that. That's where the trip ups become is how that is recognized now with 606 is how everybody knows it. So the benefits of completing a QV, you know, we'll talk buy side first, because I'm guessing most of your clients are buy side clients that, hey, I'm looking to buy this company. Looks like a nice company. They've given me their financials. They've told me what the adjustments are. I got to verify those, but you might help me with that. But they're telling me it's a $2 million EBITDA company and they could bring sick at you and your team and really verify that that is a true $2 million. And not only for them, but also look at it for you going forward. Are there going to be you know additional costs that you might have to bring in a new CEO and they haven't put $200,000 in for a new CEO or whatever else it might be? And it's just really understanding what that cash flow is. Because I think people sometimes, especially companies, if they haven't bought a company before, they can get excited about it. Hey, I've got a bunch of cash that over the last five, six years, I've been just keeping in the bank because there's really nowhere to invest it. And now I want to do a, you know, buy a company. I found one. I'm excited to do it. But if I've never done it before, you, you just don't want to take the seller's word for it or their CPA for it. You really want to bring a professional in like yourself to really verify everything that's there, right? No, oh, absolutely. You know, intentionally or not, you know, sellers are striving to put their best foot forward. So, right. you know, sometimes they may misrepresent that allure of their company so they could inflate their overall value or earnings, um, their earning potential, their market strengths. Or, you know, they might even underestimate their working capital needs. Sometimes we can come in and find it the flip. And that's a big win for our side of the fence when you're on the buy side, right? Because the seller doesn't ultimately know all the strategies and the synergies that can come. You know, they don't know what you're also bringing to the table, right? So sometimes, again, sellers can be overly optimistic in how they frame customer relationships or even market concentrations. All these things are not going to jump off that balance sheet. So it's risky for a buyer to rely, as you said on those financials that they see and not knowing, especially in a customer concentration situation, is that customer unhappy? You know, are they on the verge of leaving? That's that could be a huge deal breaker. Right. And like I said, inventory is always a pretty big one too. They may list assets that actually deserve a, a what we would call a liabilities label. You know, for example, a, a warehouse full of inventory sounds positive, right? Until you realize maybe looking at it or examining it, it's obsolete or it's unsellable, it's old, it's stale. So those are the types of things that we come in from a buy side and sure. take a hard look at. Now, you mentioned before, but maybe just to recap, maybe a, a three to five bullet point. You know, what are those most common? I know you can do a lot of other things, but what are the maybe three to five most common deliverables and benefits of doing a QOV? 
The benefits for sure are, we all know, right? There's two big things that can become deal breakers without the numbers involved. And first and foremost, it's emotion, right? But the second to me is time. So to me, the biggest benefit of a QOV is is just speeding up that sales process because you have something clean that you can deliver when you're selling that company. But as far as deliverables, it's not going to tell you if the company's undervalued or if it's experiencing growth or you know has a strong cash flow. It's going to tell you whether you can trust those earnings and present that company and the earnings. They're going to persist over time. So it's going to take out that temporary. It's going to take out that possibility of manipulating them. Right. And I'm guessing this helps with a bank. If I'm buying a company and I want to get financing, if a firm like yours, it's a third party. That's not the, you know, you're not the CPA that's done their books for the last 15 years. They're trying to hide your work if you made a mistake, but it's taking this to a lender and saying, Hey, here again, it takes out that a lot of the risk because it just brings more credibility. Right. Have you seen that be positive? Uh Absolutely. You know, it, it determines if it's a worthy investment. Everything the seller needs to accurately and honestly present their company's historical earnings and what they're going to achieve in future projections. So it really helps that bank to see that expertise. And, and a lot of times companies will as well put in projections and will take a hard look at those and place some scrutiny to that. And, you know, obviously we can't predict the future, but at least you can look at trends in the past and, and pull out again those one-offs. Right. So it's really someone else. If I'm a CEO and I'm buying a company, I can understand the synergies and I can understand their reputation and their good people and their culture. But you really got our back to come in as a third party to say, okay, like you said, can I trust that these rev- that revenue that you're telling me is really true? And is the EBITDA or that cash flow really consistently over the last two years or so what they're telling me? And once I have, you know, if those answers are all yes, then I can feel pretty good that this is probably a pretty good investment that I should move forward with. And if not, then you could either come back and, you know, I've seen people go, hey, you told me it was 2 million in EBITDA, but here's our QOV and it's really only a million five. I'll still pay you the six multiple or a five multiple, but it's not on 2 million anymore. It's now on a million five. So they get, you know, they get the correct price uh, and they don't overpay for that company. Otherwise, if they just take people's words for it, sometimes, like you said, sellers don't know what they don't know. They're not maliciously doing anything wrong uh, nine times out of the case. They just, this is kind of how they always done it. And that's what they think makes sense for them. But that might not be, quote unquote, the right way of doing it or, or per gap or anything along that line. 100%. You know, and what we always hope for is that it's going to reduce or 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 almost eliminate, you know, some of those price negotiations that we all see happening in transactions. Um, so I, I just, I only see these becoming more and more prevalent going forward. Yeah, no, I, and we do too. Like I said, we've never in my 20 year plus years, I've never asked a client to do a QOV, but the last probably two, three years we have, and we've kind of set it at 10 million enterprise value or thereabout, but I think we're probably going to start even bringing that purchase price even down to maybe, you know, five, six, $7 million deal, because what we've seen in the cases where we go to market, so kind of the advantages on the sell side, is this becoming a new trend on the sell side is if there are surprises, like you said earlier on, as a seller, you don't want to have that at the 11th hour and then the buyer finds this because you're going to do the same work for the seller as you are, you know, as you would for the buyer. So before they go to market, if we can, number one, uncover any surprises, well, now we we haven't told the market one thing and it's another. So we or we can not go to market quite yet and just say, hey, let's fix these things or let's dial some things in here a little bit. Maybe it takes a month, maybe it takes six months. And now you go to market, but those skeletons that were in the closet that were, were going to get found, now we've taken care of those. We've cleaned those things up and it's a much cleaner company. We're going to get a better value. But I've also seen that, like you said, working capital, you know, that can be a hotly contested or negotiated item. And when someone like you have, have really dug into the numbers and know it, 
one, we can educate our client of, hey, here's what it is. And then if the buyer comes back with a different number, we've got a really good position to negotiate from because, we again, we have a third-party expert that's saying, no, we've dug into this very deep and this is what the company needs from a uh, working capital standpoint. There's some, So it, it just, I've seen it takes the surprises away. It educates the owner. You know, it, us as the investment makers, we feel more confident. Because now we can say, yeah, we know our numbers are strong versus, uh, again, you know, we do a little diligence. We're more taking the the word of the client and their CPA. Uh, so it, it just really strengthens I think, the position of the client. And, you know, we've done them. And, and I know our we've had buyers tell us that, uh, hey, we might pay an extra half turn if a QOV is done. Because, again, they could just trust those numbers more than they could if it's just compiled financials and, uh, you know, the adjustments that we make with the seller. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It just, and it also helps structure the deals, right? Because once you know that working capital number, if, if there is a number out there that, you know, the company is worth, it's like, okay, what else do we need to throw at this? You know, is it an earn out? Is it a recapitalization? You know, what is it that'll make this deal happen? And, and like I said before, when we first started, you know, you can scope these in any way, shape or form. So we look at companies even with $1 million enterprise value. It's amazing just by sticking $10,000 at it, you know, because you can figure out where the skeletons are pretty quickly by just looking at financial statements and, you know, you just poke the easy holes. That's right. So if I wanted to, if I was a smaller company or I didn't want to spend a ton of money on this, I, for, you know, I could say, hey, for 15 or 20 grand, just yeah. want to look at what's the uh, working capital number because, or just confirm that my adjustments are correct or what are the concerns I have most that I want to make sure are dialed in before I go to market or as a buyer, hey, I checked all this stuff out. It's all good, but I really want to know what does the company need for working capital and, and have a stronger position you could help with that. Absolutely. I think back to the majority of, say, a manufacturer, just scoping out like a proof of cash, an adjusted EBITDA, maybe looking at the revenue from a high level, and then an optional inventory observation. I think you could get a really good peek under the hood and really help out that buyer or seller. Well, Cheryl, this has been great. I'm sure we could go on for another hour talking about all the uh, interesting things that we could find in a QOV. But I would say for the listeners, you know, definitely on the buy side, it's been going on for, for several years, but it's been a bigger trend on the sell side. And we believe in it. We've seen the advantages of it going to market. But yeah, I want to thank you, Cheryl, for coming on today. And we really appreciate everything that you and, and Sickage does for our clients. And have a great day. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Right back at you. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A CornerCast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. 